I invite you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones and the woman's of a in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would help us to know that which you are communicating to us this morning from your word. Grant us your spirit in Christ's name. Amen. As we've made our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, among the various lessons that we have learned, Solomon repeats himself often, as we have seen, and over and over, the one factor that contributes, he says, to so much frustration we have in life is that we cannot know the future. We cannot predict it. We do not know how things will turn out. We do not know what God has planned. Of course, we know that he has promised, made many promises, that is, concerning our future and the return of his son and our eternal destiny. But while we live on this earth, life under the sun, we have no way of knowing what to expect. We just don't know what will happen next. In fact, Solomon said in chapter 10, verse 14, a fool multiplies words, though no one, no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? What's he saying? Remember last week, the, the fool babbles on and on, voicing their opinions about unforeseen events that neither they nor anyone can discern. It's not possible. Solomon says, no one knows what is to be. And so what happens is fools, those who are foolish, they, they fail to grasp this. They fail to grasp what Proverbs says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And so we're not to act foolishly. But even if we're not acting foolishly, we still are left with the fact that the future is a mystery to us. We don't know what the outcome of our choices will be. Uh, every one of our choices may have unintended consequences, both good or bad. We just don't know. And that is the topic of today's verses. Look at verse 2. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Verse 5. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And look at verse 6. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. You know not. 
you do not know, you do not know, you do not know, over and over. And so we're left with a question, what do we know? And then in light of what we do know, what do we do with the things that we don't have answers for? Or stealing a title from a famous book by Francis Schaeffer, How Should We Then Live in Light of All This? That is the question Solomon will answer in these verses. In light of all that we do not know, in the midst of the mystery of life, in the midst of all the uncertainty, Solomon counsels us to risk wisely. To risk wisely. Or let me put it a little differently. We are not to allow the possibility of disaster to paralyze us and keep us from stepping out in faith and risking wisely for the sake of the kingdom of God. And basically what we have here is a call to a fearless faith. No matter what happens, no matter what takes place, that we are undaunted by the unexpected. That is the lesson that we learn here. And, and when we look at our passage, we see how he teaches us this. He, in verses 1 to 6, he gives us two illustrations. In verses 1 and 2, he talks about a merchant who sends out his ships. You'll see that there. And then in verses 3 to 6, he, he turns from the merchant and he looks at the farmer sowing his seed. And, and generally speaking, both of these illustrations illustrate the same lesson. One writer said, in both activities, a great deal of faith is required because neither the merchant nor the farmer can control the circumstances. So think about it. The ship may hit a reef. It may succumb to a storm. It could be attacked by pirates and all the cargo lost. And the farmer, well, he's dependent upon the weather. Uh, bad weather, insects, whatever it may be, could destroy a crop, and the farmer's labor then would be in vain. However, if the merchant and the farmer waited until the circumstances were perfect, they would never get anything done. Uh, thus, Solomon says in verse 4, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And so life has a certain amount of risk to it is his point. And, and, and that's where faith comes in. And so that is the general meaning of the passage. How should we then live? We need to live by faith while also will, being willing to take a risk. Now, that's the general meaning. However, when you dig in a little bit more detail, we can apply what he says here with a little bit more precision. And so we're going to look at these six verses, and in it we're going to see that Solomon teaches us five lessons. He teaches us to live by faith, to live wisely, to live obediently without hesitation, to live humbly and submissively to God, and to live diligently. And so, live by faith, live wisely, live obediently without hesitation, live humbly and submissively to God, and to live diligently. And we're going to look at each of them. First, in verse 1, Solomon answers the question, how should we then live? By calling us to live by faith. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now, to cast your bread upon the waters, as I said, has to do with a merchant sending out their ships. 
And to cast your bread, it means to engage in international trade, as the commentators point out. The, the highest return on one's money was investing overseas. And so merchants would send out their ships, and after many days, if things went well, that's when they would get their return. Solomon himself engaged in this activity as a king. He, he sent out fleets of ships of Tarshish at, at sea, and he sent them out, and then they would return, and we're told that once every three years, the fleet would return with gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. And so... Every three years. And so such activity has a level of commitment to it, a level of trust. It meant being patient. I mean, in our passage, Solomon says in verse 1, after many days, but in his case, in reality, when he was doing it, it took three years. And so the return on our investment wasn't immediate or isn't immediate, nor is it guaranteed. There's great risk. And basically, as the saying goes, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And so Solomon says, do something so risky that a return may seem almost impossible. Be bold, step out in faith. Now, he's not calling us to be fools. We're we're to risk boldly, that's true, but we are to risk wisely as well. And that leads to our second answer to the question. How should we then live? We live by faith, yes, but we must also live wisely. Look at verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, the the commentators, the scholars say seven or eight is a Hebrew uh, numerical formula. It's called X, X plus one. It occurs frequently in the Proverbs. And it happens as well in Amos, for example. Here it means plenty and more than plenty. Seven means plenty, and eight means get, go, go just a little bit beyond that. And so to give a portion of seven or even to eight is a way of saying, do not put all your eggs in the same basket. In business, you would say diversify your investments, right? And the reason for this, as Solomon says, is because you know not what disaster may happen on earth. So Solomon wants us to take risks, but he doesn't want us to take foolish ones. You could paraphrase, uh, send cargo on seven or eight ships, because some of them are bound to bring back a good return on the investment. And so you diversify. And when a merchant would engage in international trade, he, he would set investments on several different ships, not just one. This way, if one ship sunk, he wouldn't lose everything. Uh, I, I can remember back around 1999, uh, I believe that's right around when you could start investing on stocks online. And I said, I'm going to give this a try. And I got advice from people that I did not heed. And I said, you know what? I'm going to invest in Webvan. And I put all my eggs in Webvan. Webvan is it was a way of getting uh, groceries delivered to you before we see it everywhere now. Uh, and, and so it was a delivery grocery business. And it sounded good to me because I didn't want to leave the house and I wanted them delivered. And so I did that. You probably haven't heard of Webvan. That's because a year later, after investing all my money, it went bankrupt. I did not diversify. I, I, I wasn't taking a risk the way Solomon is calling us to take, take a risk. I was being foolish, and, and my ship sunk. That's the point. 
I only invested a little, of course, but the point is clear. Risk boldly, but risk wisely as well. Step out in faith, but don't be foolish. We're called to invest everything we have in this life, in the kingdom of God, but we're also called to invest in it wisely. And so live by faith and, and live wisely. Third, we're to live obediently without hesitation. Look at verses three and four. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Now here we're going to move from the merchant into the farmer. Uh, There's nothing a farmer can do about the rain, uh, nothing he can do about the clouds, nothing he can do about the trees that are falling. He can observe patterns, and that's wise to do, but in the end of the day, ultimately, he has no control over what happens. But there is something he does have control over, and and this is the point here. He does have control over if he will sow his seed and harvest his crops. But see, in this illustration, the farmer is paralyzed. He's paralyzed by the uncontrollable wind. He's he's paralyzed and doesn't know what to do in light of the clouds. He's so caught up in watching the weather, he's unwilling to farm his field. He's playing the fool. Now, he's not a lazy fool. That's what Solomon mentioned in chapter 10, who wouldn't fix his roof, if you remember that. Rather, he's an overly cautious fool who's waiting for, for better conditions, He wants everything to be perfect. For him, watching the sky, uh, from watching it and checking the weather and its patterns, causes him to inaction. He doesn't do anything. It's kind of like me with my diet. you got to start on Monday. Oh, I'm going to exercise. Oh, it rained today. i got to have the perfect conditions. And what happens? (laughs) This. So... uh, 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 being over careful means venturing nothing. This farmer has one excuse after another, and he's not, he, he's not willing to plant his seed. And so rather than getting on with his work, he keeps hoping for better conditions. And so he does nothing. Now, this is one of the points Jesus makes in the parable of the talents. In, in Matthew 25, in that parable, there's a master who gives five talents to one of his servants, two talents to another of his servants, and one talent to one of his servants. And then after a long time, the master returns. And when he comes back, he wants his investment. Well, the person who had the five talents, he invested them, and he got five in return. And and the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the second time, it was the person with the two talents. He invested them, and he doubled his profits. And, And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. And then there was the guy with the one talent, and he was unwilling to invest. He said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. See, just like the farmer who would not sow, he was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. 
So he takes the talent from him and gives it to the one who has now ten talents. He wouldn't invest because of fear. And his inaction cost him everything. The saying goes, doing nothing is not nothing. It's something. Doing nothing is not nothing. It's something. We don't remain in this neutral zone. By doing nothing, we we miss a great opportunity. And more importantly, as our passage points out, and as well as Jesus' parable points out, it really results in disobedience. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon explains it. He says, if we keep on observing circumstances instead of actually trusting God, we shall be guilty of disobedience, he says. God commands, God bids me sow, but I don't sow because the wind will blow some of my seed away. God bids me reap. I do not reap because there's a black cloud there. And before I could get what I reaped into the house, it would be lost or spoiled. I may say what I like, but the result of doing that is disobedience, he says. I have not done what I was bidden to do, sow and reap. And so by sharing this negative example, Solomon is calling us to live obediently without any hesitation, to not wait for perfect conditions that will never come, to not be paralyzed by the possibility of failure. And so we're to live by faith. We're to live wisely. We're to live obediently without hesitation. And now forth, how should we then live? We're to live humbly and submissively to God. Look at verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Now Solomon has made this type of point several times. Likely he has in mind what? God's providence. We know more than Solomon did about the growth of a child from conception to birth. We know that. But it doesn't diminish the wonder that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so just like if we are unable to know everything about the growth of a child in the womb, we cannot plumb the depths of God's sovereignty. He is God. This is an important lesson that I think we forget sometimes. I don't know how. But he is God and we are not. He is God and we are not. And so the only proper response is one of humility and submission. We, we humble ourselves before his majesty and we submit ourselves to his will. And understand, God's sovereignty does not negate our responsibility. His sovereignty should not lead us to inactivity. It should actually lead us to diligence. Which is our fifth point. How should we then live? We should live diligently in fulfilling the will of God. And what's the will of God? Look at verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. We don't know what God will do. But we do know this, that we're able to sow. In verse 2, Solomon exhorted us to diversify so that failure of one does not result in the failure of everything like I did with WebVam, right? Well, here in verse 6, Solomon exhorts us to be diligent because of all that diversified investment, it may actually lead to success. Notice that he says, for you to do not, you do not know which will prosper, 
which of them will prosper. See, it is true that you never know. But it's also true that you'll never reap if you never sow. And so Solomon is saying, work hard for the kingdom of God. In the morning, sow. And work hard until evening comes, he says. Sow in the morning. Sow all day. Sow in the evening. He's saying, get busy. Redeem the time. Live boldly. Live creatively. Try something new, says one preacher. Be a spiritual entrepreneur. Even if you're not completely sure what will work, try everything you can to serve Christ in a world that desperately needs the gospel. Then you leave the results to him, knowing that he will use your work in whatever way he sees fit. See, beloved, life is like an adventure of faith. And we are like a merchant investing today in that which will pay dividends Tomorrow, we are like a farmer sowing various kinds of seeds in, in different kinds of soils, trusting God for the harvest. Paul said this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And he says, in, that was Second Corinthians, in Galatians he says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. And so risk, but risk wisely. Or to put it in light of these verses, sow faithfully, sow Wisely, so obediently, so without hesitation, so humbly, so submissively, and so diligently to the glory of God and for the advancing of his kingdom. And so that raises a question. You just called us, passionately called us, Solomon did, to sow, sow, sow. So what are we supposed to sow? Of course, this image is not limited to the farmer. It applies to many areas of life. But there's one main area that it applies to that I want to focus on. It's sowing the word of God. If you remember the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he says this, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. See, of all the things that we ought to be sowing, the most important is the living word of God. See, we sow the word when we read the word. 
We sow the word when we study the word. We sow the word when we memorize the word. We sow the word when we proclaim the word. We sow the word when we teach our children. We sow the word when we teach our grandchildren. We sow the word when we give someone a Bible. We sow the word when we share the gospel or a Bible verse or or, or some important information from the scripture with a friend who is lost particularly the gospel. We sow the word when we support the local church and when we support our foreign missionaries. We sow the word when we take it into prisons or onto college campuses. One writer said there is no one single way to share the word, to share the gospel. The best way to do it is every way we can, with wisdom, of course. We must do it wisely. And, by the way, we may not see any uh, sign of our investment paying off. And there might be even risk in doing it. You should never let the conditions stop us from doing it, like we read in that story of Solomon. But there is the issue. Is it not? The truth is we're all tempted to look too much to the winds and the clouds, We want conditions to be perfect before we share the gospel, before we share the word of God with people. I I, I struggle with this too. I can stand up here and preach the word. You could fill this a thousand times over and I will not be fearful of preaching the word. Then I talk to someone I know personally who doesn't know Christ and I share it and they kind of get used to it because I'm a pastor, but I'm still hesitant. Why? Well, the time may not be right. And that's what we do. We're, we're afraid we may fail or that our, our friendships will be lost because of it or, or, or it will make the person feel uncomfortable. And, or I know somebody who's very bold and, and they, they look like fools. And so our answer is, yeah, they may look like fools, but let's not do anything. And, and so we struggle. Or worse, we're worried that people will get really angry with us. And we don't want that when we tell them that Jesus is the only way, that there's no other way to heaven. And so we all struggle in some ways. What would Solomon say? How do you know? How do we know? You do not know. And so preach. Be like the farmer who is ever looking uh, 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 to plant his seed rather than looking to the weather. Don't be the person who's never sowing. And therefore, the person who's never reaping. And see, here's the glorious truth for us. It's not true for the farmer, literally, but it's true for us. When it comes to sowing the Word of God, there is always a return. Always a return. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, we read this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but order the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what, that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so we never sow the word in vain. The ship may sink, the wind may blow, the trees may fall, the storm may come, disaster may happen, but if we're willing to risk everything for the kingdom of God and keep 
sowing the word, in due time we will reap a harvest. Some 30-fold, Jesus said, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. It is a promise, beloved. Well, let me close with a story. It's taken from Dr. Riken's commentary, and I think it illustrates perfectly the point being made here. In the middle of the 17th century, John Flavel, a famous Puritan preacher, began his ministry in Dartmouth, England. And one particular Sunday, Flavel preached to his congregation from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O come, Lord. And the sermon was particularly solemn. He was known for being uh, pretty flamboyant and, and preaching Christ and the love of Christ. But this one was solemn. He, he warned his hearers about the seriousness of not coming uh, to love the Savior. And at the end of the sermon, he paused before he closed the meeting and said, How shall I bless this whole assembly when every person in it who loves not the Lord Jesus is accursed? It's why I preach the gospel every time we're here telling you you have to come to Christ because you don't want to spend the rest of your life coming to church on Sunday and then facing Christ and you don't know him. And, and, and Flavel was passionate about that. And in his congregation at the time was a young boy, Luke Short. He was 15 years old. He lived in Dartmouth, so he went to church there. And later, he ended up leaving Dartmouth. He sailed to America, and that's where he settled the rest of his life. Now, Luke Short lived a very long life. And one day, at the age of 103, he was sitting under a hedge in Virginia, and he remembered that sermon. As he recalled the sermon and began to think about it, he asked God to forgive his sins right there and then, and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, at 103, he was saved. Nearly a century passed between his sermon, Flavel's sermon, and Short's conversion, between the sowing and the reaping. And so, believer, if you are willing to risk everything for the kingdom of God, if so, then hear Solomon, cast your bread upon the waters. Give a portion to seven or even eight. In the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, withhold not your hand. What God will do, you never know, but you will never reap if you never sow. Let's pray. Father, we hear these words. We see and understand in in our lives how the word of God has changed us because somebody was willing to share, be it a pastor or a friend or a family member. And I pray, Lord, that we would sow the seed of the word regularly and consistently here and abroad and in the lives of the people we know personally. And that, Lord, that we wouldn't have to wait a century, that we may see the harvest now. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.